Welcome to Middle School Walk and Talk, a podcast series offering heart, hope, and health to members of our middle school communities. Hosts Phil Fagel and Jessica McGuire talk all things self-care, student well-being, school culture, and more. Middle School Walk and Talk is designed to support the concepts found in the successful middle school, This We Believe, and is a production of the Association for Middle Level Education. To learn more, visit amle.org. Today's episode, Learning Doesn't Stop at the School Door, with special guest, Autumn Rivera. Hi, Phyllis. How are you today? I'm good. How are you, Jessica? I'm great. We are still recording our podcasts at the AMLE conference, and today we have the privilege of talking with Autumn Rivera. Autumn is the AMLE Educator of the Year. And such a huge honor, and we are delighted to be speaking with her today. Autumn, would you start by telling us and our listeners how you found a path into education and what that looked like for you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, I sort of was the kid that always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I don't think I called it teaching at the time. I think I just found myself in roles where I was always the teacher uh, and sort of went to college thinking I'd be a science major and ended up taking science and taking my love of teaching and combining them together and have been a middle school teacher from the very beginning. So it's been 20 years now, and so it's been really fun. Because you were the kid who always knew they wanted to be a teacher, that makes me think you're a person who's a constant learner. Yes, I do. I do love to learn. I love to have new experiences. I love to hear people's stories and where they're coming from and just celebrate who we are and and learning about each other. So as much as I could spend time doing that, I really enjoy that. I've heard you say at this conference that one of your objectives as a middle-level educator is showing kids that learning doesn't happen within four walls. It can happen anywhere. Can you talk to us about some of the really innovative ways that you've been able to do that? Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest um, unfortunate situations of of education is that we have somehow convinced uh, students that learning can only happen when you're at school. And I really want students to know that they can learn in all places and that subjects also are not just happening when they're in like science doesn't just happen in science and language arts doesn't just happen in language arts but they can cross across each other and you can combine them together so uh, I just got done taking my students to a local amusement park to learn about potential and kinetic energy and students are talking a lot about the different types of energy and we're bringing in some expert speakers to come talk they're reading the boy who harnessed the wind in language arts and then we will be having a accumulating project of students sort of inventing uh, a solution for an energy problem and have a big community event at the end so really trying to bring in the experts bring in the community take the students out to the community and cross the curriculum as much as possible so students have a chance to talk about different subjects in different classes you know somebody understands middle schoolers when they find a way to incorporate amusement parks into Mm -hmm. the (laughs) curriculum really making it relevant and fun Mm -hmm. they also had to learn some life lessons of you can't eat a whole bunch of junk food and then ride a roller coaster five times in a row. So we also had some life lessons as well on that field trip. That's, that's a good one. That's important. You'll have any of those lessons on a middle school trip, I think. Yes, exactly. You've been really able, and I think you'll inspire a lot of teachers listening, to look at their community and what is in their community that can be resources for learning and to get your kids out of the building and do the learning there. I know 
part of what you've just described also is making connections with community members or experts in the field. Um, do you have any resources that you could provide teachers about ways that they could find experts in a field or reach out to community members? I think one of the biggest things I've realized is building projects like these, you must start small. You can't do all of it at once. Every year we add a little bit more to our expeditions. Um, one huge resource are parents. You know, parents know people, they have connections, they are experts themselves. So just getting to know your parents, talking with them, talking with your students, you're able to start those connections and then build forth from there. Um, so many times we think that school and community has to be separate, but I think that is also a misconception because it's not just my students, it's our community students. And so we all are together supporting the learning of our, our students. And so I'm lucky to have a very supportive community that welcomes us in. Um, it also sort of helps uh, the idea that middle schoolers are scary when you actually get to interact with them and see that they're wanting to learn I think that also helps that misconception and so as much as I can do that I'm trying to get my students out and getting involved. I think that breaks down a barrier that a lot of people have with middle schoolers mm -hmm. that it's a it's a rough time or a hard time but it's just a really important time right and I mm -hmm. think carrying the banner for middle level education in that way and letting the kids do that mm -hmm. is is really cool and culturally for a community a strong piece. I know that you have been instrumental in building some school culture at your middle school mm -hmm. as well through a couple different programs. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about the cruise program and what that is at your school and um, some of the other programs that you've been able to provide your school? Yeah, my school is an uh, EL uh, education school, and so we are grounded in CREW, and CREW is a place very similar to advisory. I was just reading the book on cultivating culture using advisory, so a very similar program mm -hmm. where students have the ability to have a single adult that they're able to be grounded with. And at my school, we have started using it in a 6th, 7th, and 8th grade combo class, which at first I was very against. I was like, this is going to be crazy, and it ended up being the best thing my school has ever done because you build those relationships with kids both of those kids that were in the interview the video they did about me were both from my crew they're now in high school and I was with them for three years I got to watch them grow the, the young man in the video is a senior I've been chatting with him the whole time we've been processing he just texted me about his last soccer game you know and how he was feeling and the emotions around that as a high school senior and that all came from a relationship and crew and so seeing a problem at our school with students feeling disconnected from their teachers myself and a other group of teachers went to a, a training on crew and realized this is something we really need to have in our school and brought it back can you tell the listeners a little bit about your school, where it is, how it's organized, what the resources are? I think sometimes people listen to stories like these and think, oh, you have to have a ton of resources mm -hmm. in order to pull this mm -hmm. off. So yeah. maybe contextualize it a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I'm in a small rural school on the western slope of Colorado. I'm in Glenwood Springs, about an hour between Vail and Aspen. Um, we are about 60% Hispanic and Latinx. We have uh, the whole gamut of students. It's just a local public school. Um, we are about 380 students now. Um, we've actually lost a lot of students due to, due to COVID and people moving. Um, and so we've, it's just a, your community public school that we have there. And, um, and it, we actually have a, a lack of resources being a rural school. It's really hard. I am also the 
district science lead, you know, I'm working multiple, wearing multiple hats within the district because we're such a small district. And so uh, rural teachers really do amazing work wearing multiple hats like that. Um, but we still are able to, to make things work, just rallying the community to support us. I'm really fascinated, coming from a very big school district originally, uh, now I'm in an independent school, but my frame of reference are these enormous school mm -hmm. systems. I actually know a lot less than Jessica does because she's in Wyoming in a small district about how schools are structured mm -hmm. and school systems are structured. What is the what are the barriers to getting things done when you're in a really rural area? I'm sure they're different than the ones you might see in a big urban mm -hmm. area. There's a, there's a lot of barriers, and since COVID, one COVID gem is some of the barriers have shifted. Um, virtual has really made things a lot easier. Um, I live two and a half hours from our capital, um, and it's not an easy two and a half hour drive. It involves two mountain passes that are closed quite often during the winter, and so it's always just in limbo if I ever have a meeting on the front range of like, well, as long as it's not a blizzard, I will make it there. And so um, it's hard to get resources. It's, it's hard to get resources over there. Um, we're very spread out. It's, it's uh, you know, 80% of the people live on the front range and 20% are on the side that I'm at so trying to like build that there's a lot of people that want to get resources to us but like having that be in a, a way that is efficient for them and effective for us is something that we're still trying to work on and trying to find a way to support teachers um, I am the sixth grade science teacher at my school like I am the only one it's the first time I, there were two now there's just one of us and so um, there's not like there's necessarily other people to plan with or team with. Um, luckily, I have a really great district where we support each other within different schools and I've done a lot of networking online to share ideas with people that way. But it can also be a very lonely job sometimes because there are no other people there to bounce ideas off or, or you know, steal ideas from. And so it, it is a lot of relying on yourself and, and taking initiative to go look for resources because they're not always there. Well, clearly, based on this award, it sounds like this has brought out the most resourceful in you mm -hmm. and made you be incredibly creative to get the kids the opportunities that you know they benefit from. One of my complaints about society at large is that we don't treat middle schoolers as capable as they are. We don't let them volunteer in the community the way we let high schoolers volunteer. We shy away from letting them have any kind of jobs most of the time and so they get less exposure mm -hmm. to different segments of society and it reinforces that negative stereotype about them. What I love about what you're doing, it sounds like you're getting them out there yeah. and really dispelling some of those myths. Yeah, one of my uh, pet peeve quotes is that students are the future because students are not the future, they're the present, they're mm -hmm. the right now. And if students are always preparing for the future, then they never actually get to practice those skills. And then we just expect them to magically have those skills when they become adults. So the more that we can have them practice and have those experiences. Um, a couple years ago, my students were learning about the Colorado River and realized that they wanted to do something about a local lake that was up for sale and rallied around it and raised money to help support a local land trust purchasing it. And they were able to raise some money and bring awareness to it. And the, the lake was saved. And um, a year later, it was named the 43rd State Park in Colorado, Colorado State Park, just from that situation. Wow. So it was a really cool experience of students advocating for what they wanted right now, as opposed to waiting until they were an adult. And for this generation of kids who often feel so powerless, not just because they're kids, but mm -hmm. because the whole world 
is a little bit chaotic right yeah. now, mm -hmm. to actually have that tangible evidence mm -hmm. that they can make a difference is so protective. Yeah, it's been, and to see what they're doing since then. Like, I still am con in contact with a lot of them. They're still, they got that bug. They've got mm -hmm. that, like, oh, I actually can do something. And so they keep finding ways to make changes. They're they're a advocating for different clubs, for different things at high school. They're really trying to spread messages of support and care. And, you know, it came from one idea of a sixth grader, and it blew up into this. So you got to listen to your kids. <laughs> yes, you got to listen to the kids. Yeah. Right. We know that among our listeners are some new teachers mm -hmm. and teachers who might be afraid of rocking the boat. It's a lot easier when you have uh, the lay of the land to break rules. It's harder when you're still learning the rules and it feels very risky. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for new teachers who maybe are teamed with people who do things the way it's always been done and maybe are inspired by what you're sharing but aren't quite sure how to translate it into practice? Yeah, I love that question. <laughs> I just think um, we need to listen to our kids and we also need to listen to our teachers. Um, I many times am in roles now through um, just how my career has kind of gone on different advisory committees of education and many times I am the only teacher on that advisory committee. Um, and it's an honor to be there, but I just am always shocked that there's all these people making decisions about education and they don't have teachers in the room. So I would really recommend to new teachers out there to, to share their stories, to talk with people, to, to take the chances. If there ever was a time in education, I hate to say it, but right now when there's a teacher shortage, like do it, you know, like take the risk, try the new thing. Um, and sometimes they fail and that's okay. And we learn from it and we, we move forward. I think sharing in the successes and failures with your students and processing and learning from that shows them as well that you can make mistakes and you can learn from it and it's not the end product, it's the journey of getting there and having drafts and getting feedback is not just something that happens with students, we as teachers do that as well. Mm -hmm. And so letting them see that and letting them be in, in process of that. I think as long as what you're doing is grounded in relationships and grounded in students feeling safe, then take the risk. Have you had any pushback from colleagues who either feel that it puts pressure on them to do things differently, who might feel a bit uneasy mm -hmm. about the changes mm -hmm. that you're bringing to the mm -hmm. school system? I'm very lucky at my school. Like I said, my school is an, an EL education school, and so our whole school is grounded in the idea of trying to have students uh, be advocates for themselves, to really be student-centered in their learning, to reflect on their learning, to share that process out. And so, luckily, I have not had a lot of pushback, which is great. I think um, in, in prior schools and prior situations I've been involved in, I might not have been as lucky. And uh, it can be hard. There's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of just beating on a, on a door that not everyone people are going to answer, but you just have to keep doing it and keep starting small and letting people see those small successes and then push it a little further the next time and push it a little further the next time. I appreciate that message. I'm not the best rule follower myself, <laughs> so I like talking to people who are willing to take those kinds of chances. Along those lines, is there any other piece of advice that you would give to either leaders or to teachers who are listening right now? I, yeah. Um, just because it was how we went to school does not mean that that is the right way school should be. 
And I think that is a big thing we're fighting against right now in education and in the bigger world of the perception of education. That that people think the right way is how they went to school, and it's not. You know, when I think about how I started teaching 20 years ago, you, you don't want me to go back to that. You know, it's, it was not a good teacher. I think that's excellent advice, and I so appreciate that you joined us today for the Walk and Talk podcast, which has involved more talking than walking. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Just like education has changed, so mm-hmm. does the Walk and Talk. There you go. <laughs> and... I think these are the kinds of conferences and places where you can expose yourself to all different ways of approaching education. I don't think there's any one right way, but I so appreciate the innovation that you bring to your job because after 20 years, you're so clearly so excited about it and still really like the kids and want to turn out kids who have that sense of agency. So thank you for everything that you do. Thank you so much. Thanks for being with us, Autumn, and so well-deserved, the AMLE Educator of the Year. Awesome. Thank Thank you. you guys so much for having me.